it's been a while since you put me on the shelf. I know you've been distracted by somebody else. It's been a while, but that's all right, you see. And I'll be right here waiting when you want to play again with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Cult of the Old. I'm Ian McAllister, and as ever, I am joined by Matt Thrower and Nate Owens. How are you doing, gentlemen? Good. I've got a busy. I, I was thought I was going to be late for this tonight. I'm trying to do too many things at once, um, as ever. I know that feeling well. How about, how about yourself, Nate? I'm doing great. Doing great. Had a good day. I was telling, telling Ian I actually did some things that I've needed to get done for a while today, so that's good. It's a nice feeling. Always good to knock down the lists. Yes. Talking lists. Let's get on to our next game. Each episode of Cult of the Old, I and my fellow hosts are going to dive into the tabletop gaming past. We're going to turn back the release schedule at least 10 years to look at games that were setting tables ablaze in the dim and distant past of a whole decade ago. Over the course of this season, the games we are going to cover will still be available to play, either because they have become evergreen titles, that is, they're always available at retail, or they're accessible through illegal digital means like Board Game Arena. This episode, we are looking at a game considered to be one of the truly great card games. It introduced the world to the idea of role selection as a mechanism, and found its way into many a backpack as a great game in a small box. This time out in the cast, we are looking at the classic Citadels. Who'd like to give me a one-minute breakdown of Citadels? Ian, I will answer the call, and I will explain Citadels in one minute, or even less. In Citadels, the players take on the role of people building a fantasy city. You have a deck of cards that represent different districts in that city, and you take turns based on selecting roles that represent different people. The role may be the assassin, or a thief, or a warlord, or someone like that. When you take that card and you select that role, it not only chooses what order you're going to go in in the round, but it also chooses a special action you will get to do. If you're the assassin, you'll get to assassinate another player and make sure they lose their turn. If you're the merchant, you'll get extra money. If you are the magician, you'll get to switch hands with somebody. And so uh, between these special roles and the powers that are offered on some of the cards, you build to eight districts and the person with the highest score when someone reaches eight districts is the winner. An excellent explanation there, Nate. Citadels was originally released in 2000. Its designer is the one and only Bruno Faduti. And the original publisher was Hans M. Gluck, amongst many, many others over the years. It's had many language translations, about 16 or 17 of them, as far as I'm aware. There's a whole list of artists I will go quickly through because there's quite a few involved. Cyril Dejeune, Jolene Daval, Jesper Etchsing, Bruno Faduti himself. Oh, there you go. Uh, Didier Graffet, Bjorn Hansen, Daryl Hardy, Florence Magnin, Jean-Louis Murier, Scott Nicely, Hazan Nozadian, Christian T. Peterson, the, one of the founders of Fantasy Flight Games, was among the artists, apparently, uh, Brian Schoenberg, and Richard Spicer. The games never won um, any major awards. It was a Spiel de Yara nominee in 2000, the year of release. So how did we come across Citadels, gents? You know, I think my first exposure to it was actually through Bruno Faduti's website that these days it's uh, it's just kind of a normal, oh, here's stuff I do. Actually, I haven't checked in on it in ages, but for a long time he had something with what he called the ideal game library. So 
uh, he mixed in, you know, with no false modesty, he mixed in, uh, mixed in a lot of his own games into that ideal game library. And, uh, it was pretty neat. It had a lot of little background on how he made the game. I'd seen it around at like stores, uh, and the way he described it, I thought, oh, that sounds pretty neat. And then I think I bought it as an impulse buy at my local store, which was probably $20 at the time. Yeah. I, my, my recollections of this, uh, kind of, Way, way back in the dim and distant past. I don't remember very well where I first came across it. I do remember that um, even in the time when I was starting to explore the hobby game space, you know, it just post the millennium, I guess, um, it was already seen as quite a classic. Um, certainly, as it, whenever anybody wanted a mean game, a nasty game, the name Citadels would come up, somebody would suggest it. Uh, and I quite like nasty games. Uh, so I bought a copy, uh, which I still have. Um, and it got played. It was quite good for semi-drunken friends' nights out, Citadels was, because it's quite easy to play um, and, and uh, quite quite um, appealing to a lot of people. Quite quite, And uh, so we played it a fair bit uh, and then stopped. Yeah, I think for myself, I've got, I've got a slightly unusual requirement for a lot of the games that go into my collection. I, I have a group of about five, uh, six people, including myself. So I'm always looking for games that will take that many and play in about two, two and a half hours. That just tends to be the way the way our game nights work. So like I said, it'll fit into that, that time frame for me. Uh, it's no longer in my collection, and we'll probably come to that at, uh, at some point. But yeah, I remember picking up to, to try it out because it could take so many players and play in a short time. And I, I love a good small box game, which will no doubt come to as well. Are you too aware of any sort of influences running up to Citadels? Like what influenced Fiduity to make Citadels? I actually looked this up yesterday because if you go on the, the Wayback Machine and try to look at Bruno Fiduity's old website, uh, he has a little bit of a uh, background on some of the development that went into the game, which is pretty interesting. He was already, at least in France, a you know, fairly established designer at the time. And the, the game was kind of developed in parallel with another game that he designed called Castle. Castle spelled C-A-S-T-E-L. The, the, the games are really related. Uh, Castle was developed alongside Serge Leger, who is another French designer and has worked with Fiduti a lot of times, worked with Bruno Cathala. And they basically each said, hey, we have this kind of broad idea involving different roles and cards, and let's let's each try and design a game and see where we come, and we'll meet up at some point in France in like six months or something and see what's happening. And the two games that were resulted resulted from this were Citadels and Castle. And evidently, Citadels in particular came together pretty well and, was, and ended up being a pretty, um, like a, a very comparatively smooth design experience. Um, Castle took a little more polishing. Castle's also a pretty fun game, not nearly the same status as, as Citadel's, but a fine little card game in its own right. How does uh, Castle work? Uh, Castle, so it's funny, the games are kind of in reverse, whereas Citadel's has a lot of buildings and only eight different roles if you're just playing the regular game. Castle is inverted. There's only <laughs> really one building and you're, you place the cards on like a little grid and the cards each uh, are different roles and they do things like They'll score points if they're next to these kind of guys. And if you plus this guy here, uh, he'll remove a guy over here. It, so there's a lot of the same chaos and interplay, but it's much more, um, there's much more of a spatial element to it. It's, it's fun. I don't even think it's in print anymore. I had a copy for ages and didn't play it very much, but it is a fun one. Yeah, it's not, not a name I know at all. 
I mean, Citadel has had a couple of versions over the years. It's had, it had an expansion in 2004 with Dark City, which added a bunch of extra roles and cards to the game. There was a new edition, a complete new edition, in 2016 through Windrider Games. That included some of the expansion material from Dark City. It shortened the game a little bit as well. Uh, from my understanding of the original game and the new rules, it shortened the win to, to having seven districts and play, not eight. And it had a uh, had a new bunch of new rules, and it sort of put it into a big box rather than the small box that Citadels originally was. Maybe to its detriment. I mean, my impression of Citadels is that it's like that game that you throw in a backpack and take to a to a club thing. If it's in a big box, I don't know if that's as easy to do. No, I mean that's one of the reasons it stayed in my collection. One of the reasons I still have a copy is because it is small and portable and will sit at the back of a drawer. Um, I also. I like from the Dark City, I've always liked the buildings, um, the extra buildings, but I don't really ever use the extra rolls. I don't think, I'm not sure I've ever played with the extra rolls from Dark City. And Citadels is a game where you need to know the rolls quite well. I mean, it's not complicated, but you need to know the rolls quite well in order to play it effectively. So I'm not sure that throwing in a load of... Um, a load of extra rolls is a particularly good idea, uh, especially in a, in a big box, as you say. I think the extra rolls really serve more as like, oh, hey, we've played this game, you know, 50 times, 100 times. Let's swap out the magician for the wizard or something like that. It's just to kind of it kind of changes it up. And I think even the Dark City buildings are intended to be that way. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who just shuffled them all into the deck. <laughs> They're just all there. But I think theoretically you're supposed to actually pick like three or four and replace them in what's in there. Uh, Ian, it's interesting you talk about the... Um, uh, the new edition, and what's fascinating is they still they actually did a reprint of the original edition as well, calling it Citadel's oh, Classic. Yeah, so both game both versions are actually still in print, which that's a very I I have no idea how they sell compared to each other, but it's oh, the fascinating. Original, the original version of Citadel's from two thousand and the new edition of that game. Yeah, they're both oh, okay. they're both available. Yeah, um, or they, they 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 both got simultaneous reprints. I'm not sure they're both still available now. But in 2016, that was a new printing. The game had been out of print for a little bit at that time. We were talk we were talking about uh, influences, and there were actually two games as well that I wanted to just two little German games, and I only remember the German names because I remember, and I'm not you know my German's not there at all uh but they were called like veriter and moiterer uh, i don't <laughs> something like they they roughly translate to like uh marauder or mutineer something like that like they they're kind of pirate themed games but uh Fiduti said he basically took the role selection whole cloth from those games like he just kind of needed a way to distribute the roles and he just kind of lifted it straight from those games so i don't even i don't think those games were ever if they were available in English, they've been out of print for ages now. So I don't know if I've never played them. I've never seen them. But those are acknowledged by the designer. Probably should be acknowledged by us as well. I think it's quite interesting that the because the role selection in... I haven't played either of them either. But the role selection in Citadels is it's perhaps its most familiar uh, and core mechanic. And a lot of the other things in Citadels that are enjoyable... Uh, you know the bluffing, the 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 hidden roles are old. You know, I mean, you you're going way back to Werewolf um, and before right. the idea of of bluffing, bluffing based on specialist roles. And um, so so none of that is novel. And it's it is kind of interesting that Citadel's hallmark, if you like, the thing that made it famous, is actually the designs are admitted to to lifting entirely from from another game. 
what's that they say about about great artists uh yeah. great artists steal <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's interesting because like the modern gaming scene's got a huge castle of werewolf style games like blood and the clock tower for instance being the the sort of big sort of banner one re- recently that's taken that sort of mechanic and and made it popular again Let's focus a little bit on like when when it came out in two thousand. What was the impact for you guys of, of Citadels? Like, what, how did you see it uh, impacting the gaming scene at the time? Well, I think I can only really expand on what I've already said, which is that I didn't encounter it first of all when it came out. Um, but the thing that is interesting about it is that in that era of games, early Euro games had kind of taken over the scene pretty much. Um, stuff like Catan and Ra, you know, stuff now that's, that's seen as well, well-worn classics, you know, rightly so, you know, great games. But one thing that's really notable about those games is that while they often have plenty of player interaction, you know, Rise and Auction and, and Catan has, has the whole struggle for control of, of territory on the island, they are, that interaction is relatively tame. That's what, kind of was a hallmark for games at that time because we came off all the back of, of before we all played Catan and things like that it was all war game this and war game that and dungeon exploration this and and they, they were very combat heavy um highly interactive games uh, and the euro games of the time you know dialed that back down they were still interactive but they dialed that down to into new forms that were really fun to experience um but what citadels did is it made games mean again and as I said, the thing that really recall, I really recall from the time is whenever anybody said, I want a game that's, that, that's like a bit nasty, a bit, a bit mean, everyone would just go play Citadels. You know, it was, it was the king of the Euro paradigm nasty game where you could really screw with the other players. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of a French school of design. Uh, this is something I think, I don't think we've really touched on this too much, but it's, it's a little reductive to just kind of clump all Euro games and all hobby games in kind of one big chunk. They kind of get divided often into Euro games and into, uh, you know, American style, Ameritrash kind of stuff. But I, I, I think that, um, within that tradition, there's a lot of little schools of thought and schools of design. We talked about Martin Wallace last week, and I think Martin Wallace has, he kind of redefined what you'd think of as a British game, at least in my head, as the only person here, not from the UK. But I think what Bruno Faiduti did, especially with Citadels, he was he was already established at this point as a designer in France. But I think this is the first big French design that kind of broke out. And it is, it's got a lot of Eurogame DNA to it. There's sort of the process that feels a lot like the German style game, but it's a it's a really different kind of beast. And I think it's sort of codified what we think of as a French design. Now that's not fair to the designs that came before. And certainly I think there's, you know, French design has kind of evolved, like all schools of design have kind of evolved since then. But there's this sort of chaotic edge to a lot of French games of this time, especially. There's this sort of love of frivolity. Uh, if you've played another game by Bruno Faduti, Mystery of the Abbey which is a, a really fun game that I don't think works at all. <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's a card in there that makes everyone speak in Gregorian chant. <laughs> that's, and, and that's a kind of, that's a very French design kind of thing. Like there's a sort of this feeling of this is kind of silly, but let's put it in. It'll be fun. I think um, we do the rest of the podcast. In that <laughs> God, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, th- I think this is the first time that that kind of got established as its own identity outside of France. And I think Faduti d- is really the kind of the, the first designer we think of. I, d- I don't think he's kind of taken it as far as some of the others in kind of in new, really new directions. The other thing is in that tradition that I always think of is, um, unique player powers in this case handed out every round. But I think, I especially think of that with Bruno Cathala, who's done, uh, things like, um, five tribes, the abyss, uh, the seven wonders duel has some of that, especially when you get into the expansions. And that's just a real kind of thing I always see in French design as well. So this is the first game I think of, and I think it sort of set the, the idea of what we have for that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I came to see those a little bit later than its release. I seem to remember a lot of in- imitators sort of trying to like get on the Citadel's bandwagon that made the get, like made the sort of core concept a bit more complex. I remember there being a bunch around the same. I have no idea of names off the top of my head, but I remember there being sort of a bunch of Citadel's likes kind of around short, like in the sort of few years afterwards. I mean, for for me, yeah, like it didn't stay in my collection very long because as we're probably about to talk about, it's so mean. Like Citadels is so mean, and I, I think I didn't realize when I picked it up that it has one of my hated things in it, which is it. There's a possibility for play, a player to miss their turn because just of the because of the the role of the the assassin, someone can just miss their turn. I'm not a great fan of that mechanic in games. It has to really like player elimination. I don't like. I know we talked about King of Tokyo, and I love King of Tokyo, but. Uh, yeah, it's King to- for me, King Tokyo has that spectacle thing you can watch, and Citadels is just like, well, I'm out now. I mean, it's only for a round, I guess, but yeah, it can happen again and again, I guess. I think with Citadels, like, you can, you can be assassinated over and over again. I just want to go back, actually, what Nate said, because I think that's really perceptive, um, making that distinction between French and German games, because we tend to do this. We just we just have this term Euro games, and everyone thinks from, they're from continental Europe. Britain is part of Europe, of course, lest we forget where it should be. Um, <laughs> And, uh, uh, even in Britain, yes. even okay. pre all this this mess, uh, we still refer yeah. to, to mainland Europe as the continent. Anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there. That's just some clarification for, for for listeners. The point is that by calling them Euro games, we think of them as a default thing across Europe, where in fact most of them are German. The vast majority of them are German or, or inherit German design paradigms. And actually, the history of French design, uh, not that I'm intimately familiar with, but it's far more in line with the, the Anglo-Saxon ways of thinking about yeah. things. You know, there, there were a yes. lot of really well-known, well, not really well-known, but quite well-known French war games. Um, there was some great fantasy stuff. I think I think um, the game that actually got me into the hobby, which is uh, Dragon Pass, previously known as White Bear Red Moon, is actually French. Uh, that's a fantasy war game, you know, in the classic hex and counter mold. And so there is this history of, of high conflict games. Um, yet obviously also it is easier or was easier in those days for French designers to get influences direct from Germany. I imagine, I don't know for certain, but I imagine Catan was probably been known in France before it was known uh, to the English speaking world. Um, so what you see in Citadels is kind of like an early attempt of what most design is now, which is which is a synthesis of the two the two schools of of thought on on game design. Yeah, you even see a lot of common DNA in in game history between France, the U.S., and Britain because the the deck of cards we use in the I'm guessing the U.K. uses the same deck as they we do in the U.S. But it's it's a French deck, the yeah. hearts, diamonds, spades, clubs. Um, that's that, that's a French deck, and 
most other European countries, places like Germany, Italy, uh, Russia, all of these places have like traditional decks. Maybe they've been since been subsumed by the more, you know, the more visible French deck because of like Microsoft Solitaire, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But there's still a lot of like that's the that's the French deck that, and so there's there's definitely a lot of crossover there and a lot of uh, cross pollination. Yeah, uh, I've learned recently that France has a pretty strong board game designers union as well and publishers union. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, yeah, and they like they make they make some collective decisions. Like so, like uh, I was talking to Fabian Lossier from Hatchet Board Games in the UK. He's the, he's the head over here, and he like put put me onto like some sort of French news because for for the other cast they do, and yeah, they they have like sort of unions and things like that for designers and publishers. Which is kind of interesting. I don't think Germany has that. I don't know. I, I feel like in Germany, it's much more of an ind industrial kind of grade. <laughs> this is at least that's how the American who's never been there views that there's like big factories that like, have you know, chug, you know <laughs> and, they, and they put out little wooden cubes that are filled with board games inside, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I my my mom had a pen pal in Ravensburger. So I've been to Ravensburger. Oh, wow. And wow. Like, see, seen the factories and things like that. But that was that was, you know, a good a good few decades ago now. So I, I imagine they're much, much bigger. <laughs> right. The the French game scene is really entertaining because there's they all tend to work together a lot. <laughs> they they do a lot of co-designs and stuff like that. And they, you know, at least this was the case at least 10 years ago. I'm sure it's every, everything's shifted so much since Kickstarter, but they seem yeah. like uh, they, they, they seem like collaborators in a lot of ways with each other. So, gents, let's have a chat about what we each think of Citadels ourselves. I mean, I mean, I've just said myself that I think Citadels, it's an incredibly mean game. I mean, it, it's easy to teach, which I really, really appreciate. One of the things I've gotten more concerned with as I've gotten older and as my, as my collection has changed is how easy is this game to teach to new people? Because I do that quite a lot because I visit clubs and that kind of thing and I take my games with me. And so how easy is things to teach? And Citadels is an incredibly easy teach. It's, it's a pretty straightforward game. The sort of complexity comes from that those roles interactions and the and the meanness of it. Uh, turn skipping is cardinal sin for me. I mean, it, and it can be repeated over and over again. I feel in Citadels, like you could be assassinated multiple times in a row, and basically just be sitting there going, "Well, now I can't do anything." I mean, maybe that's your fault. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, it, it, it had that possibility for me. And I think it happened to my, a couple of my friends and, and me a few times, and I was just like, "No, this game is not for me." For yourselves, Jens, do you, still, do you, you said you still have it in your collection, Matt. Yeah, I do, although I haven't played it for a long time until we played it together because we, we all had to go um, at playing it together. Um, and, of course, you know, as you'd expect, it reminded me of what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. And I, I, I echo your sentiments. I, I like a nasty game, as I've said repeatedly over the, the course of these, these recordings. I don't have a problem with turn skipping as a mechanic. And the problem, as you rightly identified, is the way that it can happen um, in, you know, multiple turns in a row. Uh, and it's not just the assassin. In fact, the assassin in some ways is one of the, is, is not the worst offender. I think it's far more infuriating in Citadels if you have built up a very good position and you're kind of there waiting for the, to go in for the winning streak uh, and somebody nicks all your gold with the thief um, or somebody nicks all your cards with the magician. And, you know, that they are, I have seen that happen cause near table flip moments when playing <laughs> um, 
because it, it, it is so gutting. You know, you, you work to build up a position and you're almost there and then just somebody whisks it all away. You know, part of, of course, one of the things I like about Citadels is that the, that combination of role guessing is both lucky and skillful. That's actually really quite neat. There's, there's a really nice blend there of, of social manipulation and mechanical manipulation because you know, you know, if somebody's um, perhaps short on gold, they might choose the merchant or if somebody's short on cards, they're going to choose the architect. You know, there, there are mechanical aspects to that as well as the social aspect and there's, then there's luck as well. Um, and the fact you don't want to try and, um, if you've got a lot of gold, you know, then somebody chooses the thief, they're going to be thinking about what you might choose as a role to try and get that gold. And all that kind of thing is, is makes that, that role selection really interesting and really fun. Um, but the, it is just a bit too common to find the, the gotcha aspect of Citadels to be really punishing, really like game changingly punishing, really vicious. Um, and, and it doesn't make everybody feel good around the table. I think, you know, when you've got one of the situations where somebody's really put out, um, by, by having their game plan stamped on, um, with a, with a, with a, especially if it is a lucky guess, that makes it even worse. Um, then, then it just, it just lowers the mood of the whole table. And, and that's not great. That's not great, you know, and yeah, it, there are better ways of getting that same bad medicine more fun ways of getting that same bad medicine into your game i think i was trying to think if i've got a game in my collection just now that is as mean as Citadels. i don't think i do i think the closest i've got is probably lords of vegas because that has some mean elements in it where you can like screw people over and like do 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 old things to them that are slightly out of their control i think that's as close as my collection comes to something as mean as as citadels is it's yeah. I think it's more than just mean. I think Matt kind of touched on it. It's if it were just mean, it'd be one thing. That's just a kind of interaction, and I think we can function with that. But it's chaotic as well. Um, there's a sort of mm, capricious yeah. quality to it where it's like the game is willing to shake the etch a sketch every now and then and just say, "Ha, you don't win now." And I, 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 yeah, I, I like that myself. I actually really like chaotic games. <laughs> um, in fact, there's a lot of things about Citadels that. It's. I, I feel like sometimes this game was designed with me in mind, because I I really like bluffing, I like double guessing a lot, I like that kind of chaos, that sort of capricious feeling, which that's that's one of the things that makes the game approachable in its way, because you don't need to be the guy who's mathing it all. I mean, it's not not a game where you're mathing it out, but you know what I mean. You don't have to be the guy who's who's really experienced and strategic. You might just get lucky and win that way. And so that's very appealing. I understand, but I, I will definitely admit that's a pretty spicy meatball, uh, so to speak. Like it's just, it's not going to work for some people in the same way. The most aggravating thing is when you are the guy who's, or the, you know, or the gal or whoever who's taking your, um, you're, you're really thinking about the role and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this one because I know that he thinks I'm going to do, you know, you're doing all of that. And then someone basically just kind of picks one at random and says like, I'll kill the, let's say the magician. And you're just like, why would you do that? Why would, you know, <laughs> and you're ready to just like, now, <laughs> now. It is, it, it is, of course, very interesting that you say that because I did exactly that to you in the game that we played. Right? <laughs> that that was neither here nor there. No, 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 no but it, it does. <laughs> Nothing to do with this criticism right now. We're fine. We're fine, you and I. <laughs> We're fine. Um, no. 
Um, I, it just it brought up because something I, I I thought about, which I thought was quite interesting when we were playing it, is that it seems to me that the magician and the king were probably the most common. No, not the most common. But they were fairly common targets for the the assassin and the thief. And I do wonder if I said at the time if it's good to do with the order of the roles. Um, because it is simply, you know, if, if you're, because obviously part of Citadel is trying to remember what's gone through, you know, the, the, the hand is it, the, the roll of cards, the, the hand of the draft, that's what I'm thinking of, the draft of cards, of roll cards as it goes around the table. Um, so that you could, if you choose, uh, a, a, the, one of those first three rolls where you have to pick a target, that you are going to pick one that another player has picked. Um, and obviously you're going to notice the cards in, that are closer to those roles, the assassin and the thief, uh, more often, just just because they're there. They're right there as you pick the assassin and the thief. There might be something to that, Matt, because you know who almost never seems to get assassinated is the warlord. Yeah, I'm surprised how little that happened. It seems like a, a natural rule. To is, you, I, okay, this is actually where I think Citadel's is at its most impressive, is these eight roles. Now, it's, it's a, they're a little different in the new version, so I can't speak to that. But I feel like these eight roles, they play together really well. They, they just they mesh together very well. And it feels like some are very strong, but there's always these ways to, like, balance it out. It feels like, you know, and I, and I think what's really impressive is when you play it more, it kind of pushes you into being a nasty person to keep from, you know, the, the best way to keep from being assassinated is to take the assassin yourself. And that's something that the first time people will play this, especially if they're coming from a very, uh, you know, German kind of style, which is a lot, you know, much more collaborative, a lot more, um, you know, not, not not as intense in its interaction as this game can be. There's this tendency, okay, I'm going to pick the one that makes the most sense for me every round, which is a really good way to lose your turn over and over again. (laughs) Because you're always taking the stuff that's really obvious. Oh, he's got three green buildings. He's probably going to want to take the merchant because the merchant will give him extra gold and there's all this other stuff. And people know you're thinking that. And I've I've played with people who get really aggravated that they keep getting assassinated. And you ask, well, what kind of stuff are you doing? And invariably, now this, you know, this, especially these are the kind of people who post on BoardGameGeek complaining about how random the game is. They're all, they were trying to pick the same thing every time. They were just, you know, I'm going to take the architect because it draws the most cards and this kind of stuff. I, I, I like that the game gives little, you, do you want to not be robbed from? Take the thief. Uh, do you want to not have your buildings destroyed? Take the warlord or take the bishop, you know, and all, all this kind of stuff. Those are always kind of going in. I feel like those eight just really, that's when, you, you know, when, when you're replacing one, Matt, like you said, from the other roles, it's not just that it's you're learning something new, although it's definitely that. It's that there's kind of a chemistry happening with these eight roles that functions really well. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. One thing I did realize when we were playing is that the R is very not diverse at all of the original version. Anyway, I believe the new version is a bit better in that way, but all the roles are white men. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, and well, except for the merchant who may or may not be an anti-Semitic uh, caricature. Uh, so no, not great in terms of representation. In there. No, I no. Think the new version is a lot better that way uh, from the, the some of the pictures I've seen of it. So that's good that they corrected some of that. And maybe they corrected that in the, those classics you were talking about as well, mate. I, I think I think it's got the same art near as I can tell. Um, oh, OK. So, yeah, like at least at least the cover art has the the pictures of the roles from the original game. Oh, okay, right. Oh, that's uh, that seems like a missed opportunity in 2016. 
Yeah. I guess they were thinking like, I, this is just so people who don't like change, you know, people like me <laughs> who, who are just so obsessed with their old games. I don't want to play the new one. And so, you know, one problem with Citadels, it always, it or it, not always, it has a tendency to run a little long. Yeah, we need to get into this, I think, because it, this is the other thing. In fact, I think this is a worse problem in some ways than, than the meanness. It, it's um, a lot of games in this style, a lot of games that where, where there's a heavy bluffing, guessing element um, are actually really quick. They are short games. Um, and you say you like games with a lot of chaos. Yeah, great. You know, I, I like quite a lot of chaos in my games as well, but I, I generally feel that the more chaotic a game is, the, the, bet, the, the shorter it ought to be or the more easily it outstays its welcome, perhaps. And Citadel's not only runs a little bit long, I mean, you know, it, it says 20 to 60 minutes, I think, on the box of the original, and, and I've never had a game of Citadel ended in 20 minutes, I don't think. No, that's a Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, there, there are no greater lies told in the entire world <laughs> of human interaction than those printed on the playtimes of board games. I, I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> um, but the... Uh, it, so it pushes the hour often, um, and then when the end game hooves into sight, when you think somebody's just about to push it over the line with that last building, almost inevitably, the warlord, thief, it's that somebody will come along and and snatch that away, and and there'll be this this kind of scrabble for the finish line, this very uncertain scrabble for the finish line because of that chaos, uh, and and it, it makes the game outstay its welcome even more you know it's not just the length of time it's kind of like that oh god oh we're nearly there just just finish just finish you know we're, we're just constantly somebody's somebody's victory lap is being snatched out from underneath them so it kind of feels even longer than it actually is not that it's a terribly long game it is just it is just overstays its welcome uh, in two ways i think yeah that's, that's a, there's an interesting pacing issue there isn't there it's like yeah you're getting towards the end and it, someone's just basically delaying the end of the game by taking the actions they are and they're totally allowed to do that but it, it's an artifact of the game it sort of delays the end of it and I, th I think that's a, it's one of the problems i come across in games a lot is that yeah they sometimes outlast their welcome like how how long is this thing fun to do for is a fundamental question most game designers should ask themselves a lot more <laughs> Uh, that's a big conversation yeah i actually agree that this is this is the single biggest problem with the game it's not a deal breaker because the easiest solution to do is to just go to seven cities or the seven districts instead of eight i believe the new version does do that yeah i believe you're right and i and i think that if you were to if there's any part of this game that needed updating it would be that uh maybe to soften a couple of the um couple of those interactions so they're not just hitting the game and just adding another 10 minutes to it. Uh, one of the things, especially when players are learning is you have this hand of like a half dozen rolls to look at and you don't really, you haven't seen them in action yet. There can be a lot, kind of this sort of, okay, come on, just, just move it and pick one so we can keep going here. And uh, I've played a lot of games that feel like they just bog down with the character selection. And I don't know if there's really a way past that, uh, but it's, it's definitely a thing. Not like I said, not not a not something that makes me like not recommend it. But you should be aware it's and it's easy enough to fix. But <laughs> really, you shouldn't have to fix it. Kind of goes back to to what Ian was saying about making it easy to teach. The reason it's easy to teach is because all the all the information is printed on the cards. Yep. Um. You know, so so you don't have to teach, or at least people don't think you have to teach it. But actually, maybe you do. 
maybe have to teach a little bit more just just to go through those uh, go through those roles and explain a little bit more about how they interact and what they do or the other way you can go about it i would think is is it's it's a game that works really well with the practice round so you do one round that's a good idea um and uh, just what one turn of the eight rolls uh and people can get some sense of how they interact and then you just obviously just pack pack things all up again and, and start over yeah thankfully the buildings themselves don't have a lot of text to digest they're almost all just like numbers and colors and you can get a sense of the board really quickly but the roles yeah there's a a certain amount of yeah you just you just need to kind of walk people through them once and i think that idea of doing a dry run or something like that is a really good one i I have to leap in there actually there's a good springboard to the thing that i wanted to talk about which is that actually my favorite part of citadels i think is not so much the role selection it's actually the the purple buildings i really love the purple buildings i really like the way that they diversify what's going on in fact i think if i remember rightly in my copy of citadels which has got the dark city included i took out some of the uh some of the colored buildings and put in more purple ones (laughs) <laughs> because because I I just they often there's often if you have purple buildings in your hand they often impact your planning and your turn in lots of interesting ways just as a simple example I don't remember which one it is but there's a purple building uh, that that gives you a discount on other purple buildings so kind of you normally get that out first even though it's expensive you know that can pay for itself easily over the course of the game and in the game that we played the very first piece i put out well the first first building i put out was the hospital uh, which yeah, that's right. the assassin. Uh, and i i very purposefully chose the assassin on my first turn knowing that i was going to put that out and that i would thus be protected from the assassin you know for the remainder of the game so it it does I really like the purple buildings, and, and I think there should actually be more with text on them, more buildings with text on them, because I, I take your point about sort of like, you know, it adding to complexity, but it's not a lot of complexity. Yeah, it's not too bad. The, the, the key complexity is in those roles, not in the buildings. They're generally very simple. There, there's a fun engine building there as well, isn't there, in the buildings? Like you can yeah. build a little sort of thing that... And that's not quite engine building, but you can like sort of like get, get some extra powers and that kind of thing that manipulate... Yeah. Them. The, the core of the game and, and manipulating, manipulating the game is always fun there's a really nice kind of um tension that it creates too because like you said matt you're like oh i have this building it cost me like five gold and i won't have that for a turn or two and in that time your opponents might build one or two buildings and so you're it's this trade-off of do i want to kind of spend the money to get this big one out here or you know assuming you're not going to rob someone or something like that to do it it's a it, that I like that trade-off that it creates this idea of because there's there is a pace like a building pace that happens in the game like you don't want to fall behind a number of cards built and so I think those purple buildings kind of make it tempting and if you're playing with the Dark City expansion there is a card that makes you everyone address you as Your Majesty the throne room so there's a little bit of that French design right there that French frivolity. I, I, I love like that. I love that. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff I, too. I always, 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 when we used to play Catan, would 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 we would leverage the rule about the Lord of Catan at the end. That's right. I don't know yes, that my rule. lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it, it says in the, it the it's certainly in my printing in the original rule books for Catan, uh, it says that the winner winner of a game of Catan must be addressed as the Lord of Catan for the rest <laughs> of the evening. <laughs> There, there was some. Uh, I think there's a, a flare in Cosmic Encounter that does something like that too, where you, I think, like the ethic flare. <laughs> you have to call everyone the sir or ma'am now for the rest of the game. <laughs> 
I, if I remember right, I don't know. I don't want to go off on too much on this little rabbit hole, but I, I'm gonna have to look it up. If I remember rightly, that card, the throne room, you actually get penalised if you don't do that. You might be right. I have my copy right so here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up. I remember having some really good fun with that card. I'd forgotten about it completely. Let's see. Every time the crown switches. Okay, that's not it. Carry on. I'm, I'm gonna look this thing up. Well, let's move away from our own critical impression and talk about influences in the current era of tabletop gaming. I mean, I mentioned earlier, like the, the sort of massive surge we've seen in sort of werewolf style games, especially most recently with Blood on the Clock Tower. Do you think Citadel's kind of started that role, that role mechanism being a thing for the for what we consider the modern era of board games now, or is it is that just a is it are those just rehashing werewolf? I mean, personally, I, I go with the rehashing werewolf. I mean, as I said right back at the start of this, the, the bluffing and, and social deduction is old, right? You know, this, this, is, this is the basis of all sorts of, of classic party games. And that is what we're talking about. When, we, when you say what influences have in the modern era, what everybody immediately thinks of is, is what you've said. It's, it's the huge explosion in, in social deduction games. There are so many now, you know, and they're, they're often the good fun and all these things. That, there's some all well-worn classics like, um, like Coup and, and uh, I can't remember the name of them now. There's a whole bunch of games like that. And I don't really think, although it's very instinctive to talk about them in the same breath as Citadel's, it is not citadels that they are owing a debt to. It is those older social deduction games like Werewolf. The core thing about citadels, again, as I said earlier, is that role selection. And as Nate said, the way those roles jig together really nicely. Because I know I've been a bit hard on citadels. I know Ian's been more hard on citadels, but I don't want to uh, take away from what Nate said. And actually, there are a lot of things about the game that just work really, really well together. You know, and 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 what he said was absolutely right. You know, that that mix of role selections is a little bit of magic in there sprinkled in with those. So that's the the key thing, the key artifact, the most memorable thing about Citadels, but it sadly, that's not what it's remembered for. Um, and I'm not really sure that it has been heavily trailered into the modern era. You know, you can start talking about specialised player powers, but equally, specialised player powers is not a new idea. It wasn't a new idea when Citadels came out. So, so I'm not sure that Citadels has had an enormous impact, you know, for me, on, on modern game design. It's probably put Bruno Fiduti on the map as, as much as any designer has ever been put on the map by one game. Uh, the only other person I can think of who's nearly in the same, who's, who's benefited from one title to nearly the same amount is Klaus Teuber, who did... Oh, no, no. Donald <laughs> Faccarino, come on. Oh, well, Donald... Okay, point taken. Uh, we'll save that for the Dominion episode. I, I actually think the biggest the biggest heritage, if you're talking about the role selection, I mean, two games come to mind, and actually really one game, and the other one lifted the mechanic off of that game, and that's Puerto Rico. The the the, the, the biggest role selection game. I, I couldn't say if uh if the designer of Puerto Rico actually like was watching Citadels and it's like, oh, that seems pretty cool, let's make that, but in a game that's not nuts, you know. <laughs> we'll put that in like a very kind of much more staid environment and make it work. And then, of course, that role selection was then uh, directly inspired Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. 
which use that same role selection. So when I think of role selection, those are the those are the heritage I think of. I don't know if I would say they're direct it's direct lineage from citadels, but if you want to see that mechanic, it hasn't been used in this way exactly, but that's that's really where I see it. Uh, of course, you can also see it in some of the other games that uh, Bruno Fiduti has designed himself. Uh, a big one was Mission Red Planet, uh, which is actually a pretty fun little game. That, uh, that recently at Tabletop Scotland for the first time, I played a couple of games of it. I was I was really impressed by it, and I, I did yeah, it's fun about it until right now. It definitely has that role selection. Yeah, thing. it's like if someone took Citadels and smashed it with El Grande, which El Grande is another fantastic yeah, game. Um, yeah. And it's a it's it's a really fun game. Um, you see a little bit of it in Masquerade or Masquerade. I don't know how you pronounce it because the spelling's a little weird. Masquerade is actually my favorite Bruno Fiduti game. That's I, I think that's the time when I think he's really topped himself as a designer. But that game is probably more in the coup lineage. I just want to say I did find the card here. It's actually the ballroom, and it says, when you have the crown, Ian, you're going to love this. When you have the crown, all other players must say, thanks, your excellency, after you've called his character. If a player forgets to address you in this way, he loses his turn. Yeah. Oh, it's, in this stage. <laughs> it's that sting in the tail. It's really, I, it, that's really had a couple of, I remember now it's come back to me, a couple of really fun sessions of Christmas. Uh, in that. It's great. That is so mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, so mean. That's, it's that's such beautiful. nonsense. What's beautiful? It's beautiful nonsense. It, it is beautiful. I mean, well, like one of the things I do appreciate about Citadels is there is a paucity of design in there and uh, at least a lot of emergent play, which I really like. That I mean, elegant is a word that's bandied around quite a lot. And I wrote about this recently about sort of the complexities of like sort of like how we think about depth and elegance in games. But there is quite a lot, there's quite an interesting bit of depth in such a very small amount of rules. Yeah, it's a beautifully. I, I, I would like that to influence modern design a bit more. Yeah. it's a it's it's a very human game. It's which maybe it's just a, a very positive way saying it's kind of group dependent. But even if yeah, your sure. groups, like if you have several groups that play it well and have a good time with it, they are gonna it's gonna shake out differently every time. Like in our game last night, the king was getting assassinated a lot, and the king was a very popular choice. I played a lot of games where, like, oh, the merchant's going to be a really popular choice, or the architect, or the magician, and it just and it just changes. And it's interesting because you start thinking not in terms of oh, what strategically is best, but what can I get away with in this group? And that's a that's a much more interesting conversation, I think, than just what is objectively the best choice here. We've we've talked about like sort of how mean it is and like there's obviously some luck in it. Do you think you can become good at Citadels? Can you like master it? That's a very good question. I'm not sure it's a game you can always win on purpose. Uh, <laughs> should put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think there's there's kind of two levels to it. There's the party game level where you know where everyone's had a few drinks and it's kind of getting a little wild and everyone's just being silly. And it's pretty fun that way, but I think there was a point in when I was playing it where I did realize, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting assassinated a lot. And I thought, what if I took the assassin more often? You know, or, you know, just kind of in thinking in those terms. Yeah. And that kind of, and which is, it seems like that'd be obvious, but it's not always obvious when you're playing a game a whole lot, you know? And so you can make smarter decisions than maybe sometimes, but there's no guarantees in the game. It doesn't have, um, you don't, you don't, you can't just like, just because you made one good decision doesn't mean that decision is going to pay off down the road. It has kind of a short memory that way. <laughs> Not always with, with bad decisions though. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think you can play it better, but I don't think you can, 
it's <laughs> I wouldn't want to enter a championship game. We want to put money on it. Yeah. I I think it's a game where you're actually mastering the group you're playing with more than the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm sure someone can write an interesting psychological treatise about like how you play citadels and what roles you choose and what that says about you. Actually, it would be. I mean, for God's sake, that there, there, there are there must be a thing in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's a, again another really interesting observation. I mean, when people do write things about um, games, you know, the psychology of games, uh, there's there's a whole a whole branch game theory and 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 what or whatnot, and that there have been papers written. And there's there's a game. No, I can't say that one actually because it's got a rude word in it. Citadels would be a really good candidate for that treatment, I think. Wrap up your thoughts for on Citadels for me, gents. What 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 would you say? So, if you if you were pitching it, would you recommend it to the modern era of players? And and if so, in what way? I can't, with all good conscience, do so. Um, I no, I mean, you know, I, 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 I it's, 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 it's an admirable game, uh, as Nate said. It, it's got some really nice design elements, but the big thing, the reason I want to do this podcast really was to say, hey, here are some games that do really cool stuff that yeah. we kind of have forgotten about. Um, and Citadels is a game that does some really good, cool stuff that has been done a lot better by more modern titles, I think, is fundamentally the problem for Citadels, you know, with Citadels for me. Um, you can get games. There are lots of games, and we've talked about things like Coup and Saboteur. Is a, you know, Saboteur is a shorter game with, with a spatial element and, uh, or a planning element and, uh, and a bluffing element. And we've talked about Coup and we've talked about some of the, the social games like Blood and the Cock Tower and, of course, you know, the ever-present Werewolf. And there are just, better games that give you the same feels that Citadels does without overstaying its welcome, without that that unfortunate tendency to for table flipping. Um, so it's an important design historically, but unlike a lot of the games we've talked about, I think all of the games we've talked about so far, um, no, not all of them, because Pandemic falls into this basket as well as being influential, but, but bettered by more recent by more recent titles, by more recent releases. Unlike Pandemic, it hasn't really spawned a, a bunch of different versions. There isn't like Marvel Citadels or anything like that, whereas Pandemic lives on. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I will just quickly revisit Nate's point about the role selection because I hadn't really thought of that. And, and actually, yeah, it has had an impact. But maybe the problem there isn't with Citadels. Maybe the problem is role selection itself, um, which which isn't perhaps widely used and, and is maybe a candidate for somebody, an enterprising designer to dig into for some, some novel ideas. Well, we'll take credit for that. That's right. <laughs> we expect a special thanks in the back of the, back, back of the thanks, book. A uh, few, few dollars pushed our way, something like that. Here's what I would say. I would say if what we're talking about, the chaos, the nastiness, is if that sounds like your gig and, and you're a gamer, then yeah, go for it. I actually think Citadels plays a little better when you take it out of the hobby context, because I think a lot of hobbyists really like they, one of the reasons, like this is one of the reasons I got into the hobby that I wanted good, fun, strategic games that weren't confrontational. That's what really appealed about, you know, Settlers of Catan. When I played that game, I liked that it was like it had interaction, but it wasn't a genuinely nasty game compared to something like, you know, Risk or like even, you know, games like Uno, like Uno has a lot of like, you know, it, it maybe not like table flipping moments, but just of like a lot of screw you moments in that game or, um, 
And games that were in the mainstream have kind of been grandfathered in, like Survive or Slash Escape from Atlantis or something like that. I think I think if you're not in the hobby, there's a certain expectation that a lot of games will just be nasty. And I think sometimes in the hobby, I think we can kind of act like, oh, be careful. You know, be careful. That game's really kind of nasty. And I think if you're not in this stream, it'll feel like it's not it's not that bad. It's not it's not weird to lose a turn. A lot of games hit like make you lose a turn, <laughs> you know. So uh I, I, I think if you're kind of in that in that realm, it won't it, it'll probably feel fresher too. I'm not sure I'd say there's been many games that have done what it does better because there is kind of a there's kind of a weird kind of alchemy happening with some of this with the way this game functions that is hard to recreate in other games. But the it is it is what it is. You know, it's it's a game that is unapologetically <laughs> exactly its personality and it has a strong personality as games go. And so it's it really is not going to be for everybody in spite of the fact that it was kind of a kind of a big hit in the hobby. So, you know, I I personally would really recommend it, but you got to know what you like going into it. Cockroach poker, maybe as a replacement for it. I, I love cockroach poker too. Oh, that is game. the that is the the most wonderful, stupidest, beautiful game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that one. But I mentioned it because I, I think you know it, it occurred to me while you were saying that as as possibly if if there is a game that's going to take Citadel's crown in that space, it might be that. Yeah, cockroach but, poker is a is a good one. Yeah, yep, yeah. If you're after an interesting we game like cockroach poker check out let's cancel the rest of our episodes do them all on cockroach <laughs> poker just a different a different episode on the same game every time just hour-long episodes of us saying this is definitely a bug yeah <laughs> just audio of us playing cockroach poker. <laughs> uh, oh my oh come on in what, what do you think about influences in the current era or, or, you know, how, how would you recommend it to them, to the modern audience, and why not? I mean, I personally wouldn't. I'm not. Uh, I, I really, I really dislike games that make you that have as bad feels as this one does. I mean, I don't mind chaotic games. I don't mind um, game games with a bit of like chaos in them. I'm, I'm fine with that completely. Like Lords of Vegas, one of my favorites, pretty chaotic game, really good fun. But I really dislike those games where the game pushes you out of being able to play the game without anything to interact with or look at or anything anything like that like king of tokyo you've got like the spectacle of the fight still going on at least and and you're just kind of invested a little bit with citadels like we've talked about you can be knocked out over and over and over again and i think that's just too much of a bad feel for me i mean like nate says if that sounds like your kind of thing and you like you know assassinating your friend five times over have at it it's an awesome game if you're the type of group that likes munchkin yeah and i I, I despise Munchkin. <laughs> I haven't played Munchkin in a long time. Sorry. I I don't care for it. But but a lot of people like that's like the game they play. Like when they're not doing role playing, when they're not doing whatever, or playing Magic, then they play Munchkin. Munchkin is my perfect example of a game that goes on too long. If Munchkin was thirty minutes, Munchkin would be fine. But Munchkin goes on forever. <laughs> this this, <laughs> this season of Munchkin. <laughs> this is going back to the to the wider point you made, which is an interesting point. You know, we we keep uncovering these 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 core design tenets, if you like, that that designers have to struggle with, and and it goes back to what you said, what we said earlier about um, uh, designers needing to understand when an activity stops being fun. Yeah, you know, and and 
it's a huge problem in Munchkin, um, and it's a minor problem in Citadels, uh, and, yeah. and it continues to be a problem. It is hard to get that right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, like, my the, the small box, I, I really love a small box game. Like, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of really tight small box designs done incredibly well. Like, it's not as... It doesn't take as many players, but Cart Impera Victoria was one that was kind of passed over, I think, a few years ago, which I really, really like. Still in my collection. It's, it's a sort of Civ building kind of game, like for small box kind of stuff. I don't think I've got anything quite looking at my collection, which is to my right. I don't think I've got anything that's kind of Citadel's adjacent, really, in my collection. I don't think I've got much with role selection in it, actually. Mm, no. No, or not, or not that I can see. There you go. So it's underused mechanic, and yeah, so we come full circle. I'll, I'll put I'll put my collection in the show notes so people can tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, explain to you why this game actually does have role selection. It does have role selection in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Editing for the cast was done by me, Ian McAllister. The music for the cast was provided by my brother-in-law, David Oliver, with my friend Alistair McLeod. Our logo was created by Rachel Wines Thrower. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is by telling your friends about us and leave us a review and rating on your podcast host of choice. You'll also find the cast on thecultoftheold.com, where you can find writing about older games. You can follow the hosts on Twitter. I'm at the Giant Brain. Matt is at Matt Thra, that's M-A-T-T-T-H-R. Nate is at Sanildefanso, that's S-A-N-I-L-D-E-F-A-N-S-O. You can come and chat to the team and fellow game enthusiasts on our Discord, and there will be an invite to that in the show notes. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so through our Ko-Fi, and I'll put a link to that as well. You can send the cast an email about any of the games we've covered, should cover, or anything else really, at cultoftheolduk at gmail.com. Bye for now.